Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. If you're looking to become a psychologist Then let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. Hope you are okay and enjoying the festive season so far if you're listening to this in December. So I think that it is fair to say it can feel pretty tricky to get um, relevant experience, especially what many consider the golden nugget of assistant psychologist experience in this day and age. It was certainly tricky even in my day, let alone um, now. So when I was on socials recently, it really took my attention that one employer is doing something that seems a little bit different in terms of the way they recruit and the way they um, interview people for these posts. And we're talking about contextual admissions, which is something big and important in the world of psychology right now. So it's lovely to see it coming out um, in uh, assistant non-qualified positions, um, as well as in training places and beyond. So um, it's a guest episode today. It's our first trio episode. Um, so I hope you find it really useful. Um, I'll look forward to catching you on the other side. Welcome along to today's episode of the Aspiring Podcast. I really want to um, welcome and introduce you to Dr. Alistair Teager and Anna Lee. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi there. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming along. Um, and as I've mentioned in the intro already, um, there's a couple of reasons why I wanted to bring you both along here. So um, Alistair caught my attention um, on Twitter, actually, um, because you were part of um, what looks like quite a pioneering recruitment process in your trust. And that's a recruitment pro process for assistant psychologists that Anna has gone through. So I thought it'd be really, really interesting to have a chat about that. Um, and potentially the future of recruitment in psychology would be a really nice idea. Um, but also, it's always lovely to hear a little bit about both of you and your journeys to being where you're at right now. So if we could start with that um, initially, that would be brilliant. So um, Anna, let's go with you first, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about how, you know, how you got to be where you're at right now? Yeah, so absolutely. So I did my undergraduate degree in straight psychology at the University of Liverpool. Um, in my sort of gap just before I did my undergrad, I went out into Nepal and did some volunteer work, um, working in schools and orphanages. So that was very much, um, before I'd probably realised, it was obviously a very sort of psychological focus. Um, so then within my undergrad, I had sort of a broad range of um, modules, but forensic psychology was the one I was most interested by. So. Um, I went on to do a master's in that, um, which I then began working in a secure psychiatric unit for about a year and a half, I think. So I did bank work. So I was able to do work on the medium secure, the low secure and the psychiatric intensive care unit, um, which I think is it was really, really good choice, actually, in the end, doing bank work because you get such more of a broad experience. Um, and then I started sort of making the jump to applying for assistant posts um, and having worked in a very forensic field for about a year and a half, I'd basically just decided I wanted to try something a little bit different. 
and neuropsychology was something that I was very interested in in my undergrad but I'd always um, maybe thought it was a little bit further out of my reach Um, but actually when it sort of came down to it and um, reading the job spec and then going sort of through the interview process um, and then sort of getting um, being successful and getting a job as an assistant psychologist in neuropsychology the support that you actually get once you're there um, suddenly that barrier wasn't really um, as yeah as much of a barrier in these anymore so yeah so I sort of went through a very forensic route but um, ended up in neuro at the moment which I'm really really enjoying. Oh, thank you so much for sharing. Could you tell us a little bit about what you do within your day-to-day role, if that's okay, Anna? Yeah, absolutely. So currently I'm in an outpatient service, so I'm working in the non-epileptic attack disorder team. So it's essentially for individuals who experience seizures or momentary loss of consciousness or involuntary movements um, um, that aren't sort of caused by any neurological deficit in the brain. So it can be from past experiences, um, trauma, um, physical elements. So it's essentially a big sort of pressure build up over time. So it's providing um, psychological therapy to those individuals. Um, at the moment, I'm currently facilitating an online course. So it's a psychoeducational course, basically just reviewing sort of need management strategies for them to try and help manage their seizures and just educating them a bit more about the condition. It sounds amazing and I'm sure you're such a useful resource for for the team but also for the clients you serve. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, Alistair, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to be where you are please? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, So yeah, I I suppose I I didn't fall into clinical psychology till relatively late on. I Similarly, I did an undergrad at Liverpool. fair while before Anna did um and I was I was interested in the crowd behavior side of things there was also a bit of forensics I was interested in there but I just didn't really know what I wanted to do at that stage um I was fortunate enough to be able to afford to to do a master's I saw my car and my family were able to support me to a degree so I I ended up doing performance psychology at, at Edinburgh um I played a fair bit of sport I'm considering sports psychology considering PE teaching and I sort of thought I wanted something quite broad. Um, it was only really when I was up there that I met a lot of different people doing different things. You know, I had people from business, people from the arts, people from sport. And um, <clears throat> a good friend of mine, Sophie, she she was going down the clinical route. And it was only as we were talking a bit more about that, I was like, well, actually, I could go down that route. And the sports psychology side thing seems quite hard. Uh, the clinical psychology side seems quite hard too, but I might get paid to do it. And it seems a bit easier to, to, I suppose, get the placement. So I suppose big thanks to Sophie for <laughs> pointing me in the right direction, really. And then, yeah, then I was on the treadmill um, trying to find AP posts. Um, as sort of a teenager going into my early 20s, I'd, I'd, I'd done a fair bit of data entry. I'd done some reception work and administrative work in the NHS. You know, my mum was a nurse in the in the NHS and worked her way up to, to management. So I was quite privileged in terms of being able to be a bit of an NHS brat and find my way into bank jobs. Um, I also worked for Sure Start, sort of the labour initiative, which became first steps. And that was my in. Um, so I only had one AP interview uh, for my, before getting my first post, and that was in first step psychological service. That was in Stoke, is outside where I lived. So they didn't know me, but I was really fortunate to know the service and the type of people that I'd be working with. That temporary contract ended, couldn't get another AP post, did an audit for a homelessness team for a couple of months. And then um, I suppose found myself in uh, applying for a neuropsychology job down in Oxford. And that's when I found a bit more of a mix of what I liked. You know, um, I didn't realise sort of that psychological and medical model and how that worked together or sometimes trying to pull them together um yeah and it was from there that I really sort of thought this is definitely where I want to go because even that point I was like is this for me you know um I wasn't sure um I I got on at Manchester trained at Manchester really enjoyed that did um did an older adult placement at Salford Royal um and then never really left um end up doing the specialist placement there and, and since that time i've worked uh, a bit in community neuro rehab 
I've worked within the epilepsy service and also non-epileptic attack disorders. And then I spent um, a good couple of years working in major trauma, so sort of major physical trauma, including spinal injuries, brain injuries. And then following on from that, I got a consultant neuropsychologist post, um, working mainly in acute neuro rehab, doing a little bit of outpatients, but then um, I suppose overseeing uh, people working in stroke rehab, major trauma. And, and then just, I suppose, as, as an aside, as a result of, I suppose, my experience in neuropsychology and spinal, um, as of next week, um, I'm going out to Ukraine with the World Health Organization and helping set up um, a spinal cord injury and brain injury unit in, in Rivna. So I, I suppose that's going to be a bit of short term work. I'm going to do a few stints out there, but it's, I suppose it's just for, for, for the pod, really, that there's a number of different experiences that I've got over the years that have led me to where I am and what I'm going to do in the next six months that I feel really grateful for, really. So hopefully that gives a bit of a, a, a hopefully a snapshot of some of the things I've done. Yeah, it really does. And it really shows the diversity of this career of ours, but also, you know, the privilege to be able to go out to the Ukraine and, and help people um, specifically at this time. Um, you know, not not an easy thing to do, but um, I'm sure it will be richly rewarding for, for you and for the people um, that you'll be working with as well. Yeah, I think so. You know, at, at this moment in time, it's a bit of an unknown quantity. Um, there's a lot of work to be done. I'm looking forward to just getting my feet on the ground and getting an understanding of it. And then from that point, I think going into January, February and March, I've, I've got a bit more of an idea of, of what needs to be done and what we could recommend, you know. Brilliant. Do you know how long you'll be there for? Um, I'm contracted till the end of March, but I'm doing like a week um, before Christmas and then two weeks in January, two weeks in February, two weeks in March and then do my do my NHS job in between. OK, so, so you fly, are you flying back and forth? Yeah. yeah okay well i hope it goes brilliantly well and Thank we'll you. be yeah, all you know really hoping that um great things are able to happen due to your work so um yeah recruitment processes in psychology could you give us a little bit of an overview of what they were like before if that's okay yeah i suppose from 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 my side from a, a manager side you know we not change what we do particularly you know um the job description and person spec was usually pretty standard, but as the more you look at it, it feels a bit more exclusive when you see it with through a different lens. You know, there's often an onus on achieve this in your undergrad. Oh, have you done a master's? That's more points. Um, have you got this experience as, a, as an assistant in psychology? Well, that's more points. Um, so it, it felt it felt quite academic based and I suppose didn't take into um into account contextual factors, which are, are, you know, I think more and more in clinical psychology we're talking about. And I think that's where, you know, in so, on social media and with some colleagues who are sort of driving the forefront of that sort of stuff, we really wanted to think about changing that. Um, in addition to that, in the last couple of years, myself and uh, a couple of my colleagues, Georgia Dunning in particular, and Nadine Merzer, we've been looking at ethnicity in neuropsychology referrals, but also, staffing and you know we recognize that our staffing at Salford was not representative of the population we were serving and actually that's that's really important to do so that was I suppose some of the setting conditions uh, for us to evaluate it and then I was kind of made aware that Health Education England had um, been given or worked towards getting a pot of money um, and that was explicitly aimed at improving access for aspiring clinical sites from perhaps uh, underrepresented or disadvantaged backgrounds uh, to get paid experience because again that's the the dilemma is there's a lot of honorary posts and some of them are exploitative some of them aren't ap posts at all um and then how do you get experience without getting experience so i suppose what we what we did is tried to whack in an application see how it went and then following on from that it really gave us a bit of uh, an incentive and legitimized us trying to change what we were doing for the better thank you it's a really useful overview um so how how has it been going for you and how long have you been doing it for um yeah so i think we've got two strands to this really like we've got we offer undergrad offer undergrad placements to a, a local university 
And I think that was a nice little trial run to start asking them to not talk about what grades they got at A-level, to not talk about how they've been doing in their first year and second year, but to talk about their contextual factors, personal or secondhand experience of stuff, their values, you know, sort of things that make them them rather than what the person spec says or what they think the job should be. Um, so we've probably been doing that and in increasing that over two, three, four years. And then since I think we got the funding for the post Anna's in, um, maybe last September. Um, and so from that point, myself and my colleague, Selena Makin, um, really got on the case of it. Um, it took quite a while to, to pull the various elements to the, uh, the recruitment process together. But again, because we'd been given new funding, it legitimized it. And we were then able to engage with our equality, diversity and inclusion team with the recruitment team itself, uh, with a few, a few other people to try and, I suppose, provide a bit more of a rounded perspective, do the hard yards to make it easier further down the line, because sometimes you just don't have the time to change processes. Um, so I think for us, it was, it was really useful to do. And now we're trying to see how it cascades out, you know, most of our assistant posts are adopting a very similar process and we're trying to think about things in a different way when it comes to qualified posts as well. When we're trying to make changes specifically in the NHS, there can be a lot of additional paperwork and meetings and meetings to have meetings and it can all be quite stressful and even knowing the right people to call can be really difficult. How did you know HR and recruitment respond to your requests to think about changing things? Um, yeah, it was a bit slow at times. Um, anyone who's worked in the NHS knows that there's a lot of bureaucracy at times and a lot of processes. Um, but I think because uh, Salford were quite keen to improve diversity across the board and we're quite, um, I suppose, trendsetters in a number of ways, management were on board. So as soon as management were on board, we were like, well, actually, well, let's run with this. Um, so yeah i think it was a bit slow at times and you know uh, arranging meetings and gathering information took took time and for myself and selena in particular finding time in our diary to do this um or getting permission to move things or do different things was also uh, a bit of a challenge but i suppose what we're seeing now is people are starting like yourself hearing about what we're doing getting in touch via email and we've kind of done quite a lot of the work already so they don't have to they've kind of got here's the precedent can we try and replicate this which is which is great for us you know we're we're, we're changing practice incredible it's very inspirational as well so well done to you and to, to the people that are in your team as well um how was it for you then Anna spotting this application this um job advert that probably looked a little bit different than the ones that you'd been seeing beforehand yeah, absolutely. That's it. I think um, initially, I'm not sure I'd realised about the following stages, but first, if I was to think just about the written written application, um, firstly, sort of giving um, emphasis on drawing on your personal experiences and how that sort of um, informs your own psychological skills and knowledge. I think that um, actually in light of quite like a hot topic of um, psychologists and sort of therapists not having their own personal challenges um, but actually how these things can actually make how you approach situations more effective um, so that sort of stigma around it I think it was really good to to see something that was sort of a bit more representative of actually drawing on your personal experiences and how you can use that to inform your practice um, so yeah I think with um, other posts, I hadn't really, I sort of focused on my skills I knew I had um, and positives and relating them to the job spec, but I'd never really thought about drawing on my personal experiences when obviously there's so much, so many rich skills that you obtain outside of work and outside of clinical settings um, that you can absolutely transfer into clinical settings um, and use these sort of real life experiences to inform your approach. So I also think it made me massively think outside the box um, in terms of how I responded. So I think I, I spoke about things that had it not 
asked me to explicitly draw on these experiences, I definitely wouldn't have mentioned in an application. So, for example, something to do with like the interdependence between um, health and um, mental health, so physical health and mental health. So I think I drew on secondary experiences of of supporting individuals with um, physical disabilities and in and how you sort of witness the process of being passed around and and issues with diagnosis and and medical gaslighting and things like that Um, and that completely what I realize now has massively informed how I approach the role I'm in at the moment where the diagnosis the process of getting a diagnosis of non-epileptic attack disorder is so long and often individuals are sort of gone through a completely long um, medical route of it potentially being epilepsy and lots of other things so thinking sort of reflecting back to my application drawing on that experience of of my own personal experience in um in my family and things like that of seeing um the process of medical gaslighting and and long long-term diagnosis and what that does to an individual yeah massively i i definitely draw on that now so that's that's one major thing that i think probably the first thing that i noticed about um the application that was different brilliant and it's just so important isn't it you know in terms of this career of ours reflecting doesn't suddenly happen you know when you're on training or when you're qualified you need to be able to be doing it and practicing it and you know honing your skills in that and your self-awareness and your you know your interdynamics between even your team Um, it's really important stuff and you know I think that's what's coming across loud and clear is that you're really in Salford, you're asking for the skills that are, I think, key to being um, effective in, in, a, in, a, in a psychology role. I, I, I think from, from my perspective as well, from Anna coming through and from subsequent uh, rounds of AP interviews, people have actually fed back that they've found it really useful to take the time to reflect on what their values are and where they've come from. Because even if they didn't get this particular job or that particular job it's informed what they do further down the line and and I say encouraging that was really powerful for us because we would not done that before we'd focused on skill set you know and academics and um so yeah I think I think for us as well from a from a interviewers or recruiters side um it felt a bit more inclusive but it felt like a nicer process rather than just starting off with that Q and A, you know, it is more of a right. We've got a sense of them. We can get, use that as a jumping off point now, rather than oh, they answered that question okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And it's definitely making me think about my experience of applying for qualified roles in psychology as well. And you know, seeing them across the same trust, it literally is just copied and pasted. There's not even anything bespoke about that particular role, which rather embarrassingly led to me going to an interview thinking that the service was one type of thing. I thought it was an inpatient unit because it said IPU because nowhere in any of the literature had it discussed what an IPU was. It's actually an integrated practice unit. But because I wasn't already in that trust, how was I to know that? So I went along thinking I was going really embarrassing thinking I was going for an interview for an inpatient unit for 10 to 17 year olds which I thought oh that's quite cool because I was working in a cam service at the time but quick thankfully I'd gone in for a chat before a couple of days before the interview and I just thought this doesn't seem quite right you know this isn't I'm sure this isn't children and I asked the question you know where are the inpatient units and they gave me some sort of oh like oh you know yeah a few miles away and I was like what (laughs) what is this job so it made me look awful but actually it's the recruitment processes because it was the copy and paste job description which told you nothing about the role and I think that's something we wanted to speak to as well particularly you know people like Anna without the AP experience before what's an AP you know what does that job look like what's reflection what's an application supposed to look like so that's where I suppose when we're thinking about our novel recruiting, we we're not the first to do some of these things. We've pulled on other job descriptions and pulled on other ideas, uh, particularly from the likes of the I suppose class clinical psych on 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 Twitter and Will Curvis from up at Lanks. Lanks have done a lot of interesting stuff around that. But we thought, well, 
actually let's put a supplementary document on here which talks about the department let's get one of our ap's to write a few paragraphs as to what her day looks like let's tell them what we want for our process so they can write it in that way um rather than dipping your toe in the water and going oh i don't know but i'm just going to send this or i've recruited a lot of people cut and paste the application from one into another you know it, it's trying to how do we how do we i suppose guide people to what we want without them thinking oh i'm not i need to get this application in asap because they'll close it so yeah i think i think like i say the 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 big first up stuff was ch trying to change our uh, job description and person spec so we we dropped the msc as being desirable um quite, uh, desirable criteria we dropped sort of two one we appreciate that a lot of declines say d two one minimum but we're like well actually um unless you know why people got a two two or a two one it's it's still a, a high level of academic functioning um we don't care about a levels a levels are a long time ago <laughs> um we also wanted to i suppose speak up the fact that you don't need to have had clinical experience to have relevant experience um so changing that wasn't for for us in our trust that wasn't that hard we were able to do that with support um adding the supplementary document was relatively easy once we sort of talked about well it was easy once we got the terminology uh i suppose signed off that was probably the hardest thing thinking about what's what's okay to say what's not okay to say what's sort of too leading what's um not leading enough you know so hopefully we, we won't get it right every time and people might not think that's appropriate but we've tried to be as good as possible at this moment in time um and i suppose you will have seen on on social media as well we we kind of wanted to put names to faces so we we've run webinars to um in the middle once the job's out we've offered a webinar that people can dial into for free and again hear about uh, our department but also the people who are going to be working with what's their journey like what do they do um making it a bit more personable and accessible um because i suppose as a part of this everyone wants to talk about their journey because everyone's is different you know people might see me in my position and hear my accent and think oh well he's a privileged white male well that may be true right now but my family might have worked very hard to put me in a position uh i'm still a first generation university attender but you wouldn't see that from from meeting me but if you ask me about my values you'll probably find out a bit more you know um so yeah there, there were just a few of the things i suppose I, I i might have deviated massively from what we we're talking about initially um but i think we feel i suppose comfortable in the fact that we feel more like we're doing the right sort of thing now and bringing through people in a nicely rounded way rather than getting uh ap1 who's just like ap2 who's just like ap3 you know yeah, and I think you're adding the humanity, the compassion, reducing the ambiguity and the anxiety as well. You know, you're saying this is this is, you know, the kind of people that we think um might potentially be able to be great psychologists, but it might not be the, you know, the time kind of criteria that you're used to measuring yourself up against. Um and you touched on application numbers as well I definitely was in the camp where you'd be you know you'd see on NHS jobs perhaps on your way to work where you get an email that I'm quite old so it's like I get an email before I went to work that there was an alert you know and you think oh brilliant I'll get home tonight and I'll do that um, but then I was competing against people who haven't got jobs and had applied while I was at work and so by the time I got home to be able to apply the job had closed you know within a few hours has have you increased your quota of applicants uh yeah we we've we've tried to uh, speak to that really we we left the job open for two weeks pretty standard we didn't cap it at a certain number but i suppose what we did need to do is make sure that for, for the health education england post that there was some sort of screening that people were eligible so on on track which is the uh, i suppose the platform that you use a lot in the nhs you can put a few questions uh, at that point um um so yeah when we put it on track there's the option to do some screening questions so we had a few in there that were very relevant to the post and that was have you had any previous experience 
have you graduated have you got graduate basis for registration because if you don't have those we could have got hundreds and hundreds similarly we were also trying to make sure that people took the time to read the job advert read the supplementary information because we wanted them to write the application as we've asked and i know it sounds daft but we don't want someone to just press send straight away we want them to uh, get to know us and get to know what we want so we did do some things that might have reduced the numbers overall god forbid what we'd have got if we'd have just not done anything it's a difficult thing to say but you know we had a 130 applicants for one post and they were the ones that we'd screened you know so it was it was the right thing to do it it took more time when it came to the other side of things but i think it just feels appropriate for the profession we're in and trying in the ethos of of uh, i suppose bringing people up um so yeah it was it can be longer winded but we're invested in it so that's okay yeah, and I think having sometimes been in trainee roles and assistant roles and even qualified roles, sometimes you can just feel like, you know, another donut on the production line. Um, whereas you saying, you know, I'm actually okay with giving a day to screen and look at these 100 applications because I want to make sure that we're a good fit for you and that you're a good fit for us. That's just about respect and, you know, treating each employee as really important because you don't want someone to be in a role six months and disappear. You want them to love the job, but you also want to love them in the job and so that they can stay for a longer period of time and get the best for themselves, but the best for you guys too. Yeah, I'll quickly speak to that because I'd like to get Anna's opinion on this as well. But yeah, I think we're wanting to pull people through into neuropsychology and neuropsychology sometimes people think well it's all about testing and numbers i suppose you wanted to put a bit more of a human side on our profession as well but we've got a really good record at salford of bringing people through as ap's who maybe come back to us as trainees but if trainees come in they often come back to us as qualifieds and we we really like that i suppose that loyalty and that culture within our department um so hopefully this just adds to something we've got already but yeah it'd be interesting to hear Anna's opinion because I'm very biased because I've been in that department since I qualified yeah no definitely and just to add as well on what you just said before Alistair I hadn't actually thought about the brochure that you'd put together um the team had put together for the application um but actually that section in there about the sort of day in the life of an AP was really, really insightful. And obviously nothing, something that we'd never really seen before. Um, I think I'm in loads of different Facebook groups of all assistant psychologists sharing for sort of what their job does and giving each other advice on interviews and things like that. But to actually see it written out, to see if it was a role you'd be interested in yourself. Um, and I think that was reflected in the webinar as well, because when you're at this point, um, as both of you have mentioned, sort of trying to get into your first assistant post and making lots of different applications you forget as much as actually is this a job that I want to do rather than it just being this is an AP position this is the experience I need so I think having those stages and having that sort of webinar explaining sort of the, the trust values and the department and seeing who you'd be working with and things like that it's as much about understanding whether you'd want to work for that team just as much as I absolutely want this job so yeah um, <clears throat> but as far as once you're actually in the department yeah it's what I said about touched on before just it's not um, it's not as much about yeah it just wasn't as much of a jump as what I'd expected it obviously is neuropsychology and um, while I'm not sort of doing testing and things like that as much at the moment um, the support is there from supervision is amazing there's lots of clinicians even if outside of your supervision everyone is a very close-knit department and there's lots of opportunity to work with and, and sort of consult other clinicians about things and as well the peer supervision I think is a massive thing um, in the department there's lots of assistance and um, yeah I think definitely sort of peer reflection and peer supervision is one thing that I potentially hadn't really thought about as much before um but I'm not sure I could um 
yeah, it definitely makes the role a lot easier having that support there from from other people who are going through your experiences. It really does. I was fortunate to also be part of a very large team of assistant psychologists and it was just incredible. Um, you know, even being able to have really informal chats over lunch was just really, really powerful stuff. And then I then went to a role where I was the only assistant psychologist. I just felt so lonely in comparison. Um, I didn't even have a desk or like a chair, like it was really, really difficult. Um, so yeah, it's absolutely a lot to be gained from peer supervision and just companionship at the same level of journey that you're at as well. Could you tell us briefly whether the interview was any different um, to ones you'd been to before, Anna? Yeah, definitely. So in between actually the written um, application and the interview, there was a video submission. So I'll just touch on that briefly as well, because um, that was completely novel to me. I'd never done that before. Um, and probably if I was to reflect on how I felt at the time, it was maybe a bit awkward about having to do that. Um, but and as well, I think when you are sort of an aspiring clinician or when you are a clinician, you'd like to think that you hold a lot of values. So trying to refine it just to a select few that really mean something to you, but also you think um, would fit well within the, the, the team that you might be working in and the, the trust. Um, that was really interesting, I think, as well. There's only so many, so much you can put in words. Um, so it was able, sort of gave you the opportunity to get across some more nonverbal skills. So showing um, your enthusiasm and giving a bit more of your personality across, I think, was really valuable about having that stage as well. Um, and even sort of like common factor skills. So like body language and, and tone of voice and um, even down to sort of thinking about your background if you're doing um, virtual sessions and things like that. So, yeah, that, that video stage was another... Um, another good one and then the interview stage so they went I think you refer to it um as a selection event Alistair didn't you yeah <laughs> I'm getting a yeah, nod um, yeah so yeah so the selection event um in it's no, nothing I'd ever experienced before I'd had a few different interviews for um psychology jobs and non-psychology jobs um and I think in more of the business career, you hear about um, assessment centre days and things like that. But I, in, interviews had always been a one one on one um, experience for me. I'd never sort of been able to see essentially who you're up against in that situation. Um, so going into that group. So I'll explain how they did it. Um, so it was two groups, I think, of maybe five um, applicants and one clinician Um in each call maybe an assistant as well it's a bit of a blur now um but yeah and they asked um one question basically put it up for debate in in the first group and sort of gave gave the floor to us to have a discussion about it um and then in the next group it was a different question so i think thinking about the questions themselves um they definitely mimicked the inclusive process because I'd prepared, I think, so much about neuropsychology and was quite worried maybe that it was going to be very, very neuro. Um, I do have neuro experience from what I'd done in my undergrad, but that was the most recent um, thing. But actually, they were sort of based around um, ethical dilemmas. And um, I think as well, the other one was more of like a contemporary issue. So it was something that you could absolutely answer if you're a person who's gone through this this process and who doesn't have prior um, experience in neuropsychology or a prior assistant post. So, yeah, even just the questions um, were a good <laughs> good um, learning experience, but also not they kind of fell in line with what was expected. Um, but then the actual process of of being in these group situations, um, I actually really enjoyed. I think you're so eager in an interview to show off all your knowledge and um, think about all of your previous experiences and things like that. But actually, this is kind of similar to the um, video stage where it just gave you more of an opportunity to show off a whole other range of skills. So it was as much about answering the question and showing like demonstrating your knowledge and and demonstrating sort of how you come to your answer and different things like that but I think actually it was just as much about demonstrating sort of your interpersonal skills and your nonverbal feedback um 
and sort of active listening skills. And it was interesting to see actually how it was, I, I feel just as much about letting others speak. So as I said, you want to show off everything you know, but equally you're in a group situation. So yeah, I think it's, it's an opportunity where you can really show compassion for others and allowing other people to demonstrate their skills as well and, and give their opinions. Um, yeah. Most and, definitely. And also, we'll yeah. Now I was just going to say sort of um, validating um, validating other people's thoughts and, and adding on them if, if you had anything else to add. Sorry, it's, it's really nice here from my side. Yeah, it's okay if I just, um, I suppose what you've got here is Anna's uh, perspective and what's really nice for me is Anna and I haven't really spoken about this, but how it works in parallel with what we wanted to do. Um, you know, the asking the uh, applicants to submit a, a short three minute video, talk about the hard values, with also a link to an online resource where you can do a value sorting exercise in line with acceptance and commitment therapy. It's kind of in line with therapeutic approaches. It's kind of in line with sort of um, theories. And we got a sense of seeing what do they look like? What do they, how do they talk about this? What's their experience? And so that was really useful. We used that actually as um, we'd long listed and this was our shortlisting uh, way of going about it. So getting people down to that last sort of 10, 12, it was something like that, wasn't it? I know it wasn't a massive group, but that was a really useful thing for us because we we were able to send it to them. So it was pre-prepared. It wasn't as, it, well, it was probably anxiety provoking in a very different way, but it was um, something that we wanted to try because we'd never tried it before. It gave us a chance to think about it over time and con confer with each other about what we wanted. But I think we wouldn't be able to do it without using the, again, I referenced it previously, the Lanx D Clin Sci competency framework, which is publicly available. So it's not something that's a secret, but we wanted to use something from a course that's quite inclusive already. Um, so it just enabled us to, I suppose, uh, start thinking about things in terms of competencies, not experiences and skills explicitly. Um, yeah, and then similarly, we wanted to go down the line of perhaps we want to call it an interview we didn't want to call it an assessment center so selection event became our terminology and yeah so we had like um one qualified and and one assistant in each group so we've almost got someone at a peer level who sort of uh, you know I'm, I'm a fair way away from being an ap i don't know as much as what it's like it's good to have someone else's perspective on that um and then almost like um swapping and then sort of re-rating based on the competences and then i think we had a just a very brief interview in the afternoon and that was interestingly i think that was me and selena going we've got to do some sort of one-on-one -on -one because that's what we always do and i think in hindsight it was relatively useful but i don't think it added as much as we'd thought because we'd actually got more than enough from the other two so i think in this next round of this funding we're not going to do that we're going to perhaps just add a little bit to the video rather than having another interview element um but yeah i'm really it's really nice to hear anna talking about the group discussions because we didn't know how that was going to go we wanted something um that would be supportive so not he who shouts loudest but actually how do people interact how do they work in a a group situation because again a lot of things i was thinking about with this process is we want people to go to the declin so they need to show declin competences. And if, if they've already got some of that naturally from their context, then we can go and work towards that. So I think it was really nice. To, I'd been to declin interviews where they'd done group tasks and I thought I'd done a really good job. And actually I'd done a good job at answering the question, but had I good, done a good job of including other people? Perhaps not. So I think for me, that was a really nice adjunct to what we've done and I will do that uh, well, we're going to do that this time around. We won't tell you what the ethical dynamics are yet because there might be people listening that have applied. Yeah, thank you so much for helping illuminate some of those processes. Um, and yeah, I've definitely done a group task um, as part of a couple of my DeClinSci interviews, actually, but definitely got a sense of it's not the ones who speak up the most who are the ones that are going to necessarily be invited um, to be part of the cohort. So, yeah, I think it's very interesting food for thought. Um, just a little bit conscious of the time, and I wonder if. Um, 
either or both of you could just offer a top a few top tips for any organizations or um trusts who might be looking to try and implement um some more modern inclusive um recruitment processes i suppose anna and i'm probably putting you on the spot here but i suppose you're you'll be the type of person that's applying for these jobs what what sort of things would you want want to see that would make you want to work for that uh, that trust that firm or, or apply for that course i think um i do value a lot sort of speaking to current assistants if they have them in their service and understanding what it is about their job that they do what it is about their job that they enjoy um and sort of reflecting that maybe a little bit in in the recruitment process um just trying to think of some other things um i think as well yeah having having different options so like with this process not just basing it all on written um whether it's a video or whether it's i think anything else um even like a presentation i think can be valuable so just having some sort of other aspect that's that's more of like um a verbal verbal form but yeah that's that's what i'd say i, I suppose it's i know you're, you're a little bit biased because you you went through this and did well out of it but that's really nice to hear from from my side i think i think i suppose my my top tips would be to perhaps um i suppose be less worried about being doing something different um i think what we're trying to do is make this a bit of a, a new norm rather than uh something that's novel and uh, lesser seen so you know we we've done a lot of hard work but we've based that on other people's hard work as well so i mean what we're doing we're sharing it's not something we're protective about we're not we're not sort of trying to get the the, the best of the best we're, we're just trying to do things in a right way so i think thinking more about what's important in clinical psychology rather than i suppose what skills and experiences do you need what sort of person do you want is going to be important you know draw on that act stuff um i think i think what we, we've tried to speak to video submissions or sometimes asking them giving um the ap's a question or two or letting them know we want you to present on your values for two minutes in the interview that that helps because i'm sure as anna spoke about she prepped she prepped for perhaps questions she thought might come up well if we tell you what the question is it gives you something a bit more focused there will still be some things that we kind of want to test you on but i think giving some nod to the fact that you guys should know something um should give a bit of a heads up it can help people feel less anxious uh for people uh perhaps on the autistic spectrum it 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 reduces some of the stress from that side of things because it's something that's not as uncertain as it once was so yeah i i would definitely try and engage with i suppose the the, the edi team um i try and link it to trust values if you're trying to sell it to your to your managers because there's usually something about uh inclusion and diversity at this moment in time um but yeah i just share 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 i think it's it, it feels to me like good practice at this moment i think uh anna and myself and a couple of colleagues might try and write this up as a, a bit more of a a practice-based example so again in the future people can say well here's the research on it rather than just this guy's done a pod <laughs> you know Incredible. And that's going to be so fascinating to read. Um, if people, until it's published, um, did want to get hold of your um, of the steps you've been through, how's the best way for them to do that, Alistair? Uh, yeah. So um, Twitter's reasonable. I'm at AJ Tiger. Um, I've also got, I'm not, I'm not protective of my work email address. Um, it's uh, alistair.tiger at nca.nhs.uk so if any uh, i suppose professionals wanting to change re recruitment processes are, are interested uh, i appreciate it. some aspiring clinical sites might start getting in contact so i'll be be prepared for that um but yeah feel free to, to ask a question we've got some stuff we can just send out um without i suppose as long as there's an acknowledgement that we've done some work on it that's fine we're not going to be precious you know Brilliant. Thank you so much. And I'll make sure I pop all those details in the show notes so that people can readily and easily get hold of them. Thank you so much for your time and for 
all of the work that's gone into all of these processes for helping aspiring psychologists have a different journey that feels more humane, that feels more like part of the career they want to be part of rather than just, you know, a faceless number. Um, so, yes, yeah, incredible work, really inspiring. And it's definitely an AP role I would have wanted along uh, my journey, too. Thank you so much for your time, both of you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having us. Welcome back. Thank you for watching. Hope you found that to be as invigorating and interesting as I did to film it. Um, thank you very much for um, for the time um, to Dr. Alistair and Anna um, and for helping us. Yeah get the word out there about these important ways of recruiting um, in going forward in 2023. So I hope that helps you in terms of thinking about contextual admissions. And if you're an employer, um, then please do think about how you might be able to use the principles of contextual admissions for your next recruitment, whether that's for qualified or non-qualified staff. If you're listening and you'd like to come along and join the free Facebook group, the Aspiring Psychologist Community with Dr. Marianne Trent, please do so. Um, also, don't forget there's the membership and of course the Clinical Psychologist Collective book and the Aspiring Psychologist Collective book. And if you've read any of those, I'd love it if you'd leave us a review on Amazon. And if you have a few more moments, whether you'd be able to leave me an audio testimonial for use in the podcast would be absolutely lovely. Um, thank you very much for your time and for being part of my world. Take care and I'll catch you very soon. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Trent. My name is Diakalola Amujo. I am a recent psychology graduate from Ireland. I am also an aspiring clinical psychologist. Dr. Marion's book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective, has been so helpful to me on this journey to becoming a clinical psychologist. As I plan to continue postgraduate studies in the UK, I found it extremely useful that this book provided in-depth information on the UK DeClinSci application process. I enjoyed reading about the experiences of both qualified and trainee clinical psychologists. The various narratives were my favorite part of the book, as everyone's story was different and it provided amazing insights into the clinical psychology journey. I would definitely recommend this book to anyone interested in psychology and aspires to become a clinical psychologist.